You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity now to look together at your Word. We pray that as we look at Jeremiah's struggles, and as we look at your answers to him, that we would see your wisdom, your sovereignty, and your character. Show us Christ today, and teach us perseverance. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, a while ago, I was talking to a brother of mine, a friend of mine. His name was Alex. Alex had been a Christian. He was quite involved in his church, serving in different ways over a number of years. But when I spoke with him, Alex had given up his faith. So I asked him, why did you do it? Why did you stop being a Christian? And he said to me, I just got so sick of it. Whenever I was with my mates, I felt like I couldn't join in. I couldn't drink with them, I couldn't party with them, I felt lonely, I felt isolated, I felt this constant pressure, the idea that everyone was going to hell, the idea that I have to tell them about Jesus. Now, I had spoken to my friends, and they weren't interested, but I always and constantly felt guilty if I wasn't hassling them all the time, which just made them angrier, and which just made me feel even more isolated. He said to me, you know what? I feel so much better since I stopped being a Christian. I feel like I finally have friends. I feel like I can finally just be friends with people without having to worry about their eternal destiny, without having to hassle them all the time. He said to me, it's such a relief. Another time, I was talking to a different friend of mine. His name is Rob. Uh, Rob? was a Christian, he is a Christian, and I think uh, he's a strong Christian in many ways. But I tell you what, in this conversation and in many conversations that I had with Rob, I could tell that he was angry. He was angry. He went on and on and on about the state of the world. He whinged about nominal Christians. He whinged about the Catholics. He whinged about the Charismatics. He whinged about the younger generation. I remember vividly, in a conversation, he said this to me with what seemed like glee in his voice. He said, Jesus is coming back, and they're all going to get it in the neck. It can be hard to be a Christian, can't it? There is pressure. Let's not lie. There is pressure to live differently from other people of the world. It can be very isolating. It can feel Pretty lonely at times following Jesus. As a Christian, there is pressure to keep on talking about Jesus even when people don't want to hear it, even when people don't like the message. And it can make us just all want it to stop. It can make us Christians wish that it was all over. Now, most of us Christians aren't tempted to tap out and Chuck in the towel, I don't think, like my friend Alex did. Uh, I don't think we're tempted so much to give up as Christians. We know that there's way too much stake uh, to stop relying on Jesus. 
But we are tempted, I think, to, to stop struggling, to stop putting in that effort, the sacrificial effort. I think there is temptation for us Christians to stop striving to be different and to stop worrying about the people around us and to stop talking about Jesus. Maybe we can start to resent God, the God who makes us live differently, the God who commands us to keep on talking the gospel. Or maybe we can start to get bitter at the people around us, like my friend Rob. We can start to get angry with all the people who won't listen to our message. Maybe we long for Jesus to come back and judge because we are sick to death with dealing with stubborn people who won't listen and think we're idiots. Well, as we come to chapter 15 in this book of Jeremiah, that's pretty much how Jeremiah's feeling. Jeremiah is sick to death of being a prophet. He's sick to death of the pressure. He's sick of the hassle. He's sick of stubborn people who won't listen to him and who won't repent and trust and obey God. We don't know how long Jeremiah's been preaching for, but we do know that he preached for a total of 40 years. 40 years. Remember that back from chapter one? 40 years he preached. Can you imagine that? I mean, to be honest, I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of all this judgment in Jeremiah. And for me, it's been five weeks. Jeremiah has preached God's judgment onto Judah for 40 years, and we know that at least for the first 30 years, nothing happened. What he said, what he prophesied, did not come true. And meanwhile, as we're going to see in our passage today, Jeremiah had to make some serious sacrifices. So here we are, chapter 15, Jeremiah's had enough. He's done. He starts off by wishing that he'd never been born. In verse 10, Jeremiah says, everyone hates me. I've done nothing against them, but they all hate me. I wish my mom had never had had me. Look with me in your Bibles at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 10. Verse 10. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. God replies to Jeremiah, and he says to him exactly the same thing that he said to him back in chapter 1, back when Jeremiah was called and didn't want to do the job. God reiterates his promise. He says to him, I will rescue you, and the judgment that you're prophesying, it will come true. Look at verse 11. Chapter 15, verse 11. The Lord said, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely I will make your enemies plead with you in times of disaster and times of distress. Look at verse 13, verse 13, 14. Your wealth, that is Judah's wealth, your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without charge because of all your sins throughout your country. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn against you. God will rescue Jeremiah, and judgment will come. And so he says, Jeremiah's like, well, I've heard this before. And so Jeremiah says to God, well, God, that's what you say. It sure doesn't look like it. It sure doesn't feel like it to me. 
Jeremiah says, you know what, God? I reckon it's time for judgment now. I reckon you need to bring the wrath now. I've had enough. It's time to avenge. Look at verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 15. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You, a long-suffering, do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. Jeremiah says, I've been prophesying for a long time now. I've made a lot of sacrifices, and I haven't whinged. Joyfully, I've made those sacrifices. I gobble down your word, and meanwhile, there is no sign of judgment, and I'm having a terrible time. Jeremiah says to God, God, you're not going to let me down, are you? You're not going to be like a brook or a spring that promises water but turns out to be dry, right? Look with me at verse 16 to 18. Chapter 15, verse 16 to 18. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Jeremiah is not sure if he can trust God. But that's dangerous ground, isn't it? God doesn't like it when people don't trust him. And so God says to Jeremiah, just hang on, buddy. You better make sure that you're right with me. You yourself need to repent. God says, you keep saying what I tell you and you don't become like the sinful people around you. They need to turn to you, not you to them. God says again, I am with you. I will save you. What you need to do is press on, persevere. Look with me at verse 19 to 21, chapter 15, verse 19 to 21. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. That's chapter 15. Chapter 16. Look at chapter 16 real quick. Uh, in chapter 16, God reiterates the judgment that is coming to the Jews. He says to Jeremiah in verse 1 and 2, don't marry and don't have children because, he says, because I'm going to kill all the people in this land. In verse 5, he says, don't go to funerals. I've got no sympathy for them anymore. In verse 8, he says, don't go to parties because party time is over. He says to Jeremiah, keep warning them. And if they ask you why judgment is coming, and this is verse 10 to 13, verse 10 to 13, if they ask you why judgment is coming, tell them it's because of their sin and idolatry. God says, a day is coming when I will restore them, but it's not now. Now is judgment day. Then 
In the next section, chapter 16, verse 20, through to chapter 17, verse 11, that's 1620 to 1711, in this next section, God talks again about how Israel are full of sin. They're full of it, of sin. Uh, Just a few highlights in chapter 17, uh, verse 2, you can see that they trust idols instead of God. In verse 5, you can see that they're trusting people instead of trusting God. Their hearts are so deceptive. Uh, Look at this famous verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, too many people these days are saying things like, just trust your heart. God says your heart is deceptive above all things. In context, Israel is bursting with sin. They're literally exploding with sin. That's how full of it they are. There's no sign of repentance, and therefore, God's judgment is coming. But again, Jeremiah's heard this before. He's been preaching this for years, for decades. And so he says to God, well, that's what you keep saying, God. That's what I keep saying. But it's not happening. The people are going fine, God. There's no sign of judgment. The only one who's getting any judgment is me. I'm the one in constant trouble. Jeremiah says, I tell you what. If it really is going to happen, I want it now. I'm sick of telling these people that your judgment is coming and then it doesn't come. We pick it up in verse 14. Chapter 17, look with me at verse 14 to 18. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Jeremiah wants judgment now because he's sick of it. He's sick of this difficulty, this persecution, this suffering, this mocking. He's sick of it. But church, here's the thing. Jeremiah isn't God. And God's not going to have a bar of this. So, in verse 19 to 27 of chapter 17, without particularly responding to Jeremiah, God says, I'll tell you what. I want you to go out and preach judgment on the Jews. Preach a message about how they won't keep the Sabbath. And I want you to give them the opportunity to change their ways. I want you to say, and this is in verse 24 to 26, I want you to say that if you do what God says, you won't be destroyed. And church, it's at this point that God has an object lesson, not just for the Jews, but also for Jeremiah an object lesson that really is, I think, at the very center of this whole passage today. I think this is really the climax of the five chapters looking at today. Uh, God tells Jeremiah, here's the lesson, here's the object lesson. God tells Jeremiah to go and watch a potter, a potter. And the point is this, like a potter, God can do whatever he wants with Israel. That's the point. No one can tell God what to do. Not the Jews, 
They can't say, God, well, you've made promises to our forefathers, therefore you can't judge us now. No, no. If God wants to judge them, they belong to him. They belong to him, and therefore he can judge them. But it's an object lesson not just for the Jews, it's for Jeremiah as well. Jeremiah can't tell God what to do either. God is the potter, and people are the clay. That's the point. If God wants to judge, he has that right. If God wants to save people, he has that right. If God wants to save people that he was going to judge, he has that right. If God wants to judge people that he was originally going to save, he has that right. He alone has that right. It's not up to Jeremiah to tell God what to do. It's not up to Jeremiah to tell God when to do it. God is the boss. What is up to Jeremiah is to shut up and do as he's told. Look with me at chapter 18. Verse 1 to 10. Chapter 18, verse 1 to 10. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Here's the point. God reserves the right to do what he wants with his people. Not when the Jews think he can, not when Jeremiah thinks God should, when God thinks he should. And so, once again, God sends Jeremiah out. From chapter 18, verse 11, through to the end of the chapter, he tells him to announce judgment again. And then in chapter 19, uh, in chapter 19, God tells Jeremiah to use a vivid object lesson. He has to get a pot and smash it, shatter it. He has to say, that is what God's going to do to you. Look with me at chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city and this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. So Jeremiah goes, he preaches God's judgment, he smashes the pot, he smashes it to smithereens, and he says, God's going to do that to you. And you know what happens? You guessed it. Nothing. Nothing happens. No judgment comes. Meanwhile, Jeremiah gets bashed and put into stocks. You know what stocks are, right? Old school prison stocks. Big pieces of wood, you put your head in, sometimes your head and wrist, sometimes your head, wrist and ankles. And the whole point is not just to immobilize you, but it's actually to mock you. 
So as we see throughout history, people are put in stocks, people spit on them, they swear at them, make fun of them, mock them. Oftentimes, they'll throw rotten food at them. Look with me at chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. When the priest Pasher, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Well, friends, as you can imagine, this is really testing Jeremiah's patience. It's like, it's like God is playing with him. It's like God's playing games. That's probably what it feels like. It, it seems like God is torturing him. Jeremiah constantly looks like an idiot. He constantly looks like a fool. Everyone hates him. And so he says to God, God, I'm not impressed. But he says, the worst thing about it, God, is I can't stop. I speak, it brings me nothing but trouble. I try not to speak, and then it's like I'm going to explode. If I try to keep God's word, it's like I'll burst. Look with me at verse 7. Chapter 20, verse 7 to 9. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. His point is I can't stop telling people. I can't stop prophesying. But it's not easy. It means constant persecution it means constant pain. And so he says again, God, if you're going to do it, just do it now. Just do it now. Look at verse 12. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Jeremiah says, all right, I admit that you saved me from the stocks, and I praise you for that. I thank you for that. Look at verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. You did save me, he says, but honestly, I'm done. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I seriously, seriously wish I'd never been born. Look at verse 14 to 18. Verse 14 to 18. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? And that, friends, is the end of the section. That's where this passage ends. 
this dialogue between Jeremiah and God. It finishes where it started. Jeremiah starts off saying that he wished he'd never been born, and that's where it finishes. God doesn't respond. He's got nothing more to say to Jeremiah than he's already said. All right. Church, what do you think? That was a bit long, right? A lot of passages to work through. What do you think? What do you think the relevance to your life is? I got to say, this passage really speaks to me. It really speaks to me, don't you reckon? Like, I get where Jeremiah is at here in these chapters, don't you? It's not just Jeremiah who feels this way, is it? Or, or my friend Alex? Or Rob? the guys I was telling you about at the beginning of the sermon. I mean, I don't suffer as a Christian anywhere near as much as Jeremiah suffered. I didn't have to give up marriage and children. I still get to go to funerals and parties. I've never been beaten up for my faith. I've never been put into prison stocks for preaching. I've never had any rotten fruit thrown at my face so far in my ministry. I've faced, to be honest, very little persecution for being a Christian, but still, I get him. I, I get how he's feeling. Because if I'm honest with you, sometimes I feel the same. I feel like it's like this constant pressure on me as a Christian. It feels like sometimes like everyone is watching. And it seems like I have to be so careful about how I act, so careful about what I say, about what I post. It seems like I can't do the things that my friends around me, my non-Christian friends around me are doing. And if I'm honest with you, it does make me feel a bit like a loner, a bit isolated. Isolated from my unbelieving friends, from the people that I love. Earlier this week, I was talking to one of my high school friends. He went to Sweden to work and he came back recently and we're catching up. We're going to play basketball together. And he's like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, I'm a church pastor. And he's like, why would you do that? I've got to say, as a Christian, sometimes I find it just overwhelming. It's rough. The idea that the vast majority of the people around me, around us, are on their way to hell. That's just, that's just overwhelming, isn't it? I'm constantly feeling guilty that I'm not braver or more courageous than I should be about telling them about Jesus and the salvation that he offers. And yet, I hate the conflict that comes with telling people about Jesus, people inside the church and outside the church. I hate that some people think of me as some religious fruitcake, a nut, someone who believes in weird fairy tales. In addition, if I'm honest, I feel responsible for the people in our church. When someone's going the wrong way, when someone's making poor decisions with their life, I feel like I need to say something. But if I'm honest, I hate the awkwardness and the conflict that comes with that. And I hate the fact that they're going to avoid me for a while. I hate that. Now, to be fair, I don't often wish that I'd never been born. I've never cursed my mom. I've never cursed the person who announced my birth or anything like that. But I tell you what, I have tried to give God some helpful advice at times. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I've said to God, God, now would be a real good time to send Jesus back. 
I look at what's going on in Ukraine, and I think, God, now would be a real good time for your son to return with a sword and end all this. Well, I look at people going wayward in the church, and I pray, God, to be honest, now would be a real good time for you to just end it all. Bring it on, God. Bring your judgment. End it. And prove them that you're right, God. Prove them that I'm right and that they're wrong. And sometimes, in my tiredness, I do start to resent people. I was at a pastor's conference a few years ago, and I remember the preacher telling us um, that he knows that he's personally overdoing it when he hates it when his phone rings, when he gets a message or a phone call, and he thinks in his head, who's this idiot that's calling me now? And he knows, that's when he knows it's time to take a break and do a spiritual assessment. I'm the same. Let me ask you, Christian, life group leader, let me ask you, chemistry member, do you ever start to resent people who won't listen? I wonder, do you ever resent people who won't change? Like, I've never asked God to kill anyone like Jeremiah did. But if I'm honest, I've certainly given up on some people, for sure. I just stopped caring for them. I just stopped caring about them. I just thought to myself in my weak moments, you want to go your own way? Fine. Go your own way. Church, let me ask you, do you ever get tired of being a Christian? Does it make you want to cave in? Does it make you want to assimilate with the world? Does it make you want to be just the same as everyone around you? Does it make you ever just want to be silent? Or let me ask you this, do you ever get resentful? Do you ever get resentful and bitter towards God? Or do you ever get resentful and bitter towards people? And do you ever wish that it would just all end? Surely, I'm not alone in this, am I? Well, by way of application, let me share a few thoughts. A couple of things to say in light of what we've seen in these chapters today. A few applications. Firstly, we need to learn from what God says to Jeremiah, especially that bit about the potter, I reckon, right? God is the potter. We are the clay. Very noisy bits of clay, to be honest. Very messy bits of clay, for sure. But the reality is, God is a potter, we are the clay. The point is, God has a right to judge. God has a right to save. This is God's world. We're just living in it. God can do what he wants, when he wants to. It's not up to us to give God advice. It's not up to us to say, God, I'm sick of it, so therefore end it now. It's up to us to do as we're told. What else does God say to Jeremiah? I love the way that he just reiterates his promises, right? And some of you need a word of comfort. Here it is. The promises. He says again here exactly what he said at the start in chapter one. What does he say? He says, I am with you. As you live prophetically for me, I am with you. I will deliver you. What you're saying, what you're prophesying, it will come true for sure. As we saw back in chapter one, we Christians have the same promises, don't we? We know that because we know that Jesus promises to be with us to the very 
end of the age. God promises to finally deliver us. God promises to finally vindicate us. We know there's a judgment coming for sure. It may not look like that now, like it didn't do for the 30 years in Jeremiah's ministry. It might not look like it, but God's promises will come true. He is with us. God will judge. It's guaranteed. He will deliver us and take us home. And church, we've got to hang on to those promises, especially when your faith is shaken especially when you find yourself going wayward. We've got to hold those promises. And so what does God tell Jeremiah to do? Press on. What does he say to Jeremiah? Keep going. Persevere. Continue in your obedience. Keep repenting. Don't become like the people around you. In other words, don't assimilate. Don't go silent. Keep on talking on my behalf. God says, yes, it's going to be hard. You against the world. You with a gospel message against the world. But that's how it is. So, to loosely quote him, Christian, suck it up, princess, and carry on. Carry on with the mission. Persevere. We need to learn from what God says to Jeremiah here, but more than that, more than that, we need to look beyond Jeremiah and we need to look at God's ultimate prophet, don't we? Who we know is Jesus. Because as we look at Jesus, we see a man who does press on. He suffers even more than Jeremiah did, didn't he? And yet, He, Jesus, still sticks with God's plan. He still sticks with the mission. He never gives up. He never gives in. He never tells God how to do God's job. It's never, all right, God, now's the time. No, no. Even take it to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's Jesus. He's about to bear the sin of the world on his shoulders. And what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And he presses on. Even as his bearing our sin on his body, on that tree, even facing the curse and the judgment of God for us so that we can be set free from sin. He never tells God what to do. He never stops. He never taps out. He never renounces. He doesn't resent people either. He just keeps on loving. Even his enemies, sure, he's got some harsh words of judgment, plenty of harsh words of judgment, but right to the end, it's always words of judgment with a redemptive care, with real love and care. And he comes to Jerusalem the final time, to meet the people who are going to nail him to a cross. And what does he do? He weeps for them. He's filled with compassion. He's not gloating. He's not smug. He's not vindictive. Even on the cross, what does he pray? I can't wait till they get it in the neck. No, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. Church, I know that sometimes, as we live for God, it can feel like that we're Jeremiah. And I know sometimes, as Christians, we can get sick of it. But it's not right, is it? So we've got to learn from what God says to Jeremiah, and we've got to follow Jesus' example. Press on. Trust in God's promises. Keep loving God. Keep your heart soft towards people. Don't get hardened in your heart towards people, even when they're rebellious and stubborn. And you, Christian, just keep going. Keep going. 
Keep soldiering on. Your vindication is coming. Keep living bravely, standing out and standing up for Jesus. Let me end with this. Uh, My old principal at Bible College, the great David Cook, in his last message to us, he left us with a challenge that changed my life. It's a quote. Here it is. He said to us, Don't whine, don't shine, don't recline. Don't whine, W-H-I-N-E, whine. Don't shine, don't recline. His message to us as people who are taking the gospel out, his message was don't whine, don't be someone that whinges or complains or gets bitter. Don't whine, don't shine, don't stand out in such a way where praise and glory comes to you. Don't shine in such a way where you're taking the glory away from Christ. Don't whine, don't shine. Thirdly, don't recline. Don't be lax. Don't be cold in your approach to the gospel mission. Don't be too relaxed. Don't be too chilled. Don't get lazy with the gospel. Church, don't whine. Don't shine. Don't recline. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because in Christ you have persevered to the end. We thank you for him, our great high priest, who endured every temptation and yet did not sin, who endured every suffering and yet pressed on even to death, even to death on a cross. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we, like Jeremiah, might learn to trust your promises and to keep submitting our lives to you, and to keep holding out the gospel to people anywhere and everywhere for all of our lives until we see you face to face. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.